Whether or not you believe in an afterlife, chances are you've imagined what it might be like. Auckland novelist Patricia Bell's novel has the Library of Unfinished Business, where we join recently deceased librarian Morris in a heaven where everyone has to wear bright yellow, and he's rubbing shoulders with perky heavenly hosts and biblical characters, including Adam and Eve. As well as writing short stories, poetry and non-fiction, Patricia is a freelance editor and proofreader and musical theatre performer. Robert Kelly reads from the Library of Unfinished Business. I can't fill in the blank between dying and arriving at the gates of heaven. In my dreams I chase ephemeral silhouettes of mist and a light and a period of waiting. For what? I'm not entirely sure. My dead relatives lined up beyond a rainbow bridge perhaps beckoning me to join them, or a trumpet fanfare and a posse of angels fluttering around me like a twitter of hairdressers around a bride. God himself even, throwing open his arms, gathering me to his bosom at last. The fact that I was a deeply committed agnostic wasn't going to deny me this cosy tableau. My first clear memory is of the mist and light suddenly making sense, abruptly coalescing and forming meaning like those magic eye optical illusion books. The ones where each page is a sickening swirl of nonsense until your brain does its job and reveals the hidden 3D picture. I sensed ground beneath my feet, temperate air, possibility. I heard brisk footsteps. A ponytailed young woman dressed in a short yellow skirt and polo shirt, clipboard in one hand and a bunch of skipping ropes in the other, bounced into view, beaming. Her teeth gleamed. She wore a giant badge in the shape of a wing, which read, Hi, I'm your heavenly host. Have a nice day. Patricia, let's start with the sad, the angry... Some may say ineffectual, unfulfilled, but utterly delightful Morris. What's his story? An utterly delightful Morris. I love that. Yes. So I write the book from the first person point of view and I have two protagonists and Morris is one of them. And he is a sad and disillusioned small town librarian who actually ultimately finds his chance at redemption, even after he's died. But uh, Morris was inspired in some parts by uh, Paul Giamatti, who played the part of the person in the movie Sideways, who was a very sad and disillusioned writer. Fantastic movie. Um, And so there's some of him in Morris. Uh, And also some of me in Morris, I think. And maybe some of Morris in all of us. Uh, when we're scared or we're sad or we've lost our way or if there is unfinished business in our lives, all of us have that. Uh, And yet Morris can show us through his journey that actually there's a chance for redemption and second chances. And and that's what I wanted to say through Morris and um, through the themes of the book. You you knock him off in the first few pages, so I'm not giving anything away. You you kill him (laughs) off um, really, really soon in quite dramatic form. And then you take him to heaven. It reminded me a little bit of The Good Place in a funny way, spinning on its head the usual tropes of heaven. So what's the afterlife that you've created here? I love how you describe that, and you're absolutely right. I I knock him off early, so it's not a spoiler, everyone. Uh, Morris dies. He goes to a very strange afterlife where there are despot angels and rowing races and cocktail parties 
and um, naked people. And I, what I wanted to do was turn the idea of the afterlife and thoughts around death on their head. Uh, it's important to say that this is not a book about God or about religion. It's simply a good tale, I hope. But it's also a book about what it is to be human, what it means to find ourselves in a strange place, ultimately a strange afterlife, but still to find that we have a second chance. It questions and it wonders. And I, I'd always been fascinated by the stories of when you die and you and you go uh, and you find a bright light and a tunnel, and then somebody tells you that you must go back. And I wanted to play with that trope, but I wanted to play with it from the point of view of the dead relative. The fact of the matter is I'm a born again agnostic. Nobody knows what is going to happen after we die. But I create a very amusing tongue in cheek afterlife suggestion because I think it's okay to play and to ask and to wonder and to challenge maybe conventional concepts of what is it to be religious? What, what is it to believe? And ultimately, what is it to be human? And let's not wait for our afterlife. Let's do what we can now. Let's love now. Let's tell people we love them now. And there's always a chance for a second chance. And that's exactly what Morris finds, even in his very strange afterlife. Patricia, at the very heart of this book is the relationship between Andy to her dead father. Really, they weren't communicating at all, even though they lived in the same house at the start. And with his sudden death, she is trying to make sense of things through her letters. And they're deeply, deeply affecting letters. I mean, I was taken by this line. Maybe I was expecting too much. Do all daughters expect too much? You know, she, she's struggling to forgive her father, really, to connect with him. Yes, I, I love how you've identified that. And while I have written a book that I hope is full of humour, at the heart of this novel is the story of a father and a daughter. The story of them estranged at beginning together at the end in the most unexpected way. My father is in this book a lot. I can hear him. I can see him. As I grew up, I, I lived in a house packed full of books because my father was an avid reader. Uh, he had books on every topic under the sun. And I think my longing to be close to my father comes through in this book. And uh, I love the character of Andrea because she's 18 and she's yearning. She's yearning to be close to her dad. And neither of my characters know how to make that happen until it happens in the most unexpected place. Well, that's right. I mean, you've got another line uh, from Morris's perspective. Uh, he says, look, I'm angry. I'm angry at Andy. I'm angry at her for not letting me know her and for hating me. Uh, mm. And I thought that was really affecting too, like really sad. And you know what? I think the person he's really angry at is himself. He was never able to tell his beautiful daughter when he was alive how much he loved her for all sorts of reasons that you will discover. One of the lines in the book, at the end of everything, there's only love left and human hearts to feel it. It's one of the great tragedies, isn't it, really, that as children, we never really get to understand our parents, often until it's too late. Once they die, perhaps, and we talk to other people if they, if they have taken their secrets with them. I mean, it's not an uncommon story, but it's a reminder that communication is key. Yes, 
we have to tell the people we love that we love them now. And this book was particularly poignant for me because my mother died on Christmas Eve and I read Psalm 23 at her funeral. And in my book, my protagonist remembers reading Psalm 23 at his mother's funeral. And for me, uh, it, it was very poignant to remember that. And my mother died of dementia. So at the end, there was nothing but love and me taking care of her. And those moments, though heartbreaking, were precious. And so I dedicate this book to my mother as well. And you're absolutely right. What can we do now? We can't know what happens after death, but what we can do is what we can do now with the people we love, uh, telling our true stories because the thread of narrative is what helps us heal. And I hope that that is what my book uh, conveys. The title is The Library of Unfinished Business, and I'm tiptoeing around this a little bit because <laughs> the reason for that title you find well into the book, but libraries and books and writing um, all important, have important places here. Yes, I had another title at first and I told my publicist and silence. And so here we go, okay. or I could call it the Library of Unfinished Business. And she said, yes, that's it. Uh, libraries, who doesn't love a book about libraries? Unfinished Business, don't we all have it? And uh, the combination of those things, I think, made the title really potent. And throughout the book, I talk about, and I hope the meaning, the most strong theme, I think, that comes across is the power of storytelling. The power that there is in telling our story, our true story, not our story that is curated for social media, but our true story. And partly I was inspired, well, I'd already written the book, but I, Charlotte Grimshaw's book, The Mirror Book, was something that really resonated with me because she talked about the importance of telling your story. Telling your story is existentially important. She says, to be heard and understood, to have a listener affirm it, to know the mind is not alone. The thread that will lead you out of the maze is the thread of narrative. And without giving anything away, there are ideas in this book around how telling your story can save your life. It can change you. It, uh, it can redeem you. And it can bring you closer to those you love. So those themes are really important throughout. The Library of Unfinished Business by Patricia Bell is published by Cloud Inc. Press.